0: All right, so we are in the midst of our biblical counseling issues, and this is a class in which we're speaking about how to handle the past biblically. And in the first week, we gave some um, introductory comments, things that we should consider when we consider our past. First of all, the power of the past, that it can either be a great teacher for us, it can be a nightmare if we don't handle it well, and that we need to learn How to appropriate the past regardless of what it is. So, in that vein, we then began to say that our past could be organized actually in four categories. Um, And uh, we began to look at those um, a couple weeks ago, I guess. Our innocent past, where we handled it very well, uh, events that happened and we were okay with it, and then Our innocent past, where perhaps we handled it poorly, and how do we appropriate that? And remember, the the goal of uh, the boxes is to be able to have a funeral for our past where we need to, so that we're not rehashing the past in a negative way. Now, that doesn't mean that we we forget our pasts. It doesn't mean that we just pretend the past didn't happen. But when we bring up the past, We want to make sure we bring it up in a a positive way, either for good memories or for what it taught us, uh, what it can continue to teach us through past events, mistakes, or successes, whatever the case may be, but so that we're not bringing up the past in a way that it continues to hinder us, or it continues to um, um, bother us, or we're obsessed over things in a way that is not going to be healthy. So... We started again talking about our innocent past, but today we want to begin by talking about our guilty past. So what we're asking today is what happens when we think about our past and we think, okay, there was something that happened in the past that I'm guilty for. In other words, I did something wrong, I said something wrong, I reacted wrong, Um, I'm culpable in some way for the event or events or whatever happened. And yet, I handled it well. What does it look like when I handled it well? I was guilty, uh, but I handled it well. And hopefully, you know, we're all going to find ourselves in this category sooner or later, right? I mean, it's inevitable. And anybody that tells me they've never had a guilty past is not grieving. So, we have to ask, hello, Ellie.
1: Good morning. Good morning. morning. So, we have to ask, and do you
0: want a little sheet here? Oh. Here, I've got extras. In fact, I'll leave them over here with you guys so anybody else can do okay. So, how do we handle our guilty past? And um, we, this is going to sound funny, but we want to be able to have a joyful remembrance. In other words, um, if we handle this well, there should be no way that the guilt should continue. Okay? Uh, this is something that we often... Um, have a problem with, because as believers, when we sin, or when we've done something wrong, it's a human nature to try to continue to beat ourselves up at times, or to feel bad about things, or, or to really um, carry that with us in a negative way, and so we want to be able to look at this um, in a way that we're not carrying it... Um, in a negative way, and when we've been guilty of something, this is where we have to learn how to let it go in a way that's biblical, that brings resolution, and where we don't carry it continually. I know a lot of people that have carried guilt and pain all of their lives, even though they've actually done everything that they, they should have done to try to relieve that. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing is, is we have to believe Oops! I spelled believe wrong. Didn't I? Yeah, now believe God's promise to forgive. Now let me tell you something that I often hear in counseling, and I have to correct. I hear people say this to me: "I just can't forgive myself." Have you ever heard somebody say that? "I just can't forgive myself." And my response is always the same: Nobody's asking you to forgive yourself, and you couldn't if you wanted to. There is no such thing as self-forgiveness. That's a—it's a just an an irrelevant term. Um, We we can't forgive ourselves. You know, this is a a a great psychological uh, statement. You know, you have to you have to feel good about yourself. You know, you have to forgive yourself. You know, be good to yourself. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, I understand the intent. It really is. It's it's inane, because it really has nothing to do with how we get rid of a guilty past. Um, The idea here is believing God's promise to forgive is the same promise that we claim in salvation, right? When we repent of our sins, God doesn't say, well, I hope you can forgive yourself. When we repent of our sins, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we're justified in Him right? We're not, God doesn't say, well, you know, again, this is a cooperative effort, and you better muster up, you know, some. Our repentance is literally a desire to think differently and to turn and walk in a different direction, but forgiveness comes from God, right? So let's have somebody look up First John 1, 8 and 9, and we see this in the scriptures, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and you know, feel free to comment, ask questions, throw tomatoes, whatever. Can I uh, bring you back to joy of remembrance? Yes. What was your point? The point of the joy of remembrance is when we think about our, uh, something we might have done wrong and we didn't handle it well, that should bring closure. So when we think back to that, we're thinking back to it in a way that's constructive. Where we're If we're going to hash that up again, we want to be able to hash that up in a way where it's we, we can say, okay, I remember what I did wrong there, but I've learned from that. So now here's how I'm going to change how I react. Or, you know, I have a, a, a joyful remembrance and, you know, it was so great I was able to go to so-and-so and ask forgiveness and we reconciled that situation. So you're not bringing it up again in a way where the guilt continues to condemn you, in a sense. So, believe in God's wrong. Who has 1 John 1, 8 and 9? Anybody want to read that? Okay, thanks. Lydia, go ahead. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. At the same
2: time, it is a new commitment that I am writing to you true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness.
0: Okay. Okay. Um Did you
2: read First John 1, 8 and 9? Oh, sorry. That was too <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, those are great verses, I, I love really, those verses, <laughs> but I'm
0: thinking, I don't think that's exactly where I was <laughs> saying. One more time. That's okay. Go ahead. Take another one.
2: If we confess our sins, he is faithful to just to forgive us our
0: sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that's one of my the most cathartic verses in all the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. and that know, work, um, 1, 8, and 9. And here's the thing, you know, one of the greatest examples of this is David's sin with Bathsheba. And you'll remember that sin. Uh, I, 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 I think it's in the First Samuel 11, as I recall. But When Nathan the prophet confronted David and, you know, he went through this whole spiel and um, brought David's sin to his attention. And when David was condemning someone who would have done what he did and Nathan said, you're the man, you're the guilty one. I find it very interesting what David first said after he realized that he was the one that Nathan was rebuking. He said, I have sinned against God. And I think there's a lot for us to learn there, because when we realize that anything we've done wrong, we first and foremost sin against the Lord, right? Now that doesn't mean we don't have human responsibility in our sin, but what it does mean is that we have to get right with God, and when we confess our sins to the Lord, that's our first step, because the Bible says that He's faithful to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we come with a repentant heart to God, um, that's the first step. Now, depending on what the sin is, and we're going to get into that'll we'll depend and we're going to get into that more down here, depending on what the sin is 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 how we determine whether or not we have more work to do um, sometimes we've just sinned against God, we've handled it well, and we don't have to do anything else uh, sometimes there might be more required, but I want you to see that we need to forgive now, I want to stop here because the problem that we often have here is that when we have done something wrong, and even though we've responded right, in our human nature, we have a tendency to wallow in our sin. Now, let me ask something. How many of you have never wallowed in your sin? Anybody? <laughs> you know, where you have, you have just owned your sin, and you continue to let it own you. Alright?
1: Oh. In other words... You're asking, has anybody wallowed in your yeah, sin? Yeah, has
0: anybody, I should say this, has anybody not wallowed in their sin? I mean, we. I think we all have. If we were to be honest, right. we would all say there's times that we have really uh, obsessed over our sin, even though in our own minds, we could say we've done everything we can to rectify a situation. Um, you know, and it may be as simple as, you know, we really feel bad about something. You know, we continue to, replay the tape in our minds, and oh, I wish that hadn't happened, and we just, you know, and we can do that, and, and we're sincere in our hearts, I mean, we really do wish, but we continue to let it eat away at us, and we continue to obsess over it. It might be something simple, that it's been resolved, but we just don't let it go all the way to, you know, people that are absolutely paralyzed because they're just not able to let go of it. So, we have to get a little deeper here. What do we tell people that are wallowing in sin they just continue to bring it up? Well, first of all, we have to ask, have they truly repented? Sometimes people wallow in their sin because their sin is still active. They haven't truly repented. So we want to ask a counselee, have they truly repented? Have you truly done, have you truly responded well? Because without Repentance. There cannot be restoration, and if there isn't restoration between a believer and God, if there isn't, if that relationship is fractured by sin in some way, they're not going to feel good about it. Um, and perhaps if this could uh, apply to a relationship with another person, or it could even apply with something that someone is dealing with individually. It might be just, you know, I'm dealing with anger, okay, and. I don't know, I just can't seem to, you know, so it could be something like that. Um, Secondly, we want to ask, or we want to determine if they have a wrong view of sin. And they can have a wrong view of sin in both a negative and a positive way. So let's look up some verses here. Um, Ellie, would you look up Proverbs 28, 13, and 14? Lydia, Matthew 3, 8. Ryan, uh, you can't talk, though, so I won't get you any. Uh, let's have Norm looking up um, Matthew 5, 23, and 24. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Debbie will be on deck for the next one, but there's another point here. You so. said so Matthew 5, 23, 24. Right. So Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. Ellie is on. Let's get the stop
1: Sorry, Sorry, Ellie. 28, 13, and 14? Yes. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy.
0: Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Alright, so let me ask you guys this. Let's do a little lab. From that verse that Ellie just read... What might you counsel a person if they were not looking at their sin correctly? What could you give them? What biblical advice would you give from the verses that Ellie just read? What biblical advice might you give Views of sin might uh, be confronted through that verse. Do you want to read it again, Ellen? Sure.
1: He who conceals the sin does not prosper. Anymore. Okay, stop there. Okay.
0: What do we counsel from that? What is the, What are the questions we're going to ask just on that? If we're dealing with the counsel we are struggling with.
1: Well, I would say um, a very important word would be concealed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if if a person is not willing to acknowledge their transgression and they even go further by just concealing it as though it didn't exist, there's the warning.
0: Exactly. So, you want to find out, are you concealing sin? Have you confessed everything that there is to confess? And what I find many times with counselees is that confessions come out in little dribbles. You know, like I'll hear, well, you know, I did this, and there's usually a little more. So I have learned to prompt and say, is that everything?
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Is that really everything? Yeah. Is that really everything? Well... You know, have you confessed all this? Because if they're feeling bad about this, they may be holding legitimate guilt. So you know, that's the first thing we want to find out. Okay, um, do you think that just confessing part of your sin or holding your sin, you, you know, you're going to get over this? Well, that's a wrong view of sin. Okay, that part. Okay, go read the second part, Elaine. Okay, but whoever confesses. But whoever confesses, go ahead. And renounces them finds mercy. Wow, what hope there, huh? Now, the first place they have to confess and renounce it is to the Lord, right? And if they haven't done that, you know, they can huff and puff all day long, but they're not going to feel good about it. And a lot of people are miserable Christians because they don't understand this. You know, they think they can have one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible and and just kind of walk along and be okay, and that's just not going to work. So we have to be really careful, we have to understand that, you know, look, confession is important. Sometimes that's only required to God. Sometimes it may be required that we need to go to others, and we'll talk about that here. Okay, who's got the next verse? I, I know I'm going too slow. Matthew 3.8. Um, Matthew three 3.8. Bear fruit in keeping with
2: repentance.
0: Okay, very good. Okay. Lydia, what does that teach us? What what do we know is going to happen when people do handle their sin right? They're going to what? Amen. In other words, so, what we want to ask as a counselor is, since you have responded well, what does your life look like? Is there any fruit? Well, you know, I stopped going to church, I really don't fellowship with anybody anymore, I kind of isolated myself. If they're not bearing fruit... That's a red flag. Is your Christian life continuing now as one who has been restored? Because that's what happens in repentance, right? So we should see a normal Christian walk there. It's amazing when people are in sin how often that can change. You really need to look for that. You know, people that were front and center just kind of, you know. And I don't mean front and center in a way of, you know, popularity or ministry necessarily, but people that were just very um, active in the faith, and it was very noticeable. All of a sudden, you know, there's a drift. So we need to know that. Okay, let's go to Matthew 5, 23 and 24.
2: So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, then go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift.
0: Okay, so what does this teach us? Humble. Yeah, absolutely. Humility, for sure. Pride can really get in the way of our past. And even when we're guilty, pride can really... We we don't like to... By nature, we don't like to admit we're wrong. Of course, I've never been wrong, so... (laughs) I would never say that in front of Gail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, and it <then> also, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't understand if I'm ever right. <laughs> okay, go ahead.
1: Uh, just that it lends to what we're going to get, I think, in number four. Yes. You know, you've taken us through these scriptures, and and it is that biblical. There has to be the repentance, and as you said, with God first. obviously any sin is always against God first Um, and then like other people but then you have um, that forgiveness that we just talked about in the other scripture that you cannot expect to have if you're holding it in and don't see the need for it or whatever and now we're addressing with that even God doesn't want the gift if your heart's not right it Itself. like a yucky yeah. gift That's right. so it's more important to go to yeah. the person that you sinned against yeah. before you try to offer anything yeah. to him you know
0: when, uh, when the Lord talked about the uh, new covenant and he talked by referring to the old covenant where he didn't desire the blood of goats and bulls what he really desires is the hearts of men and you know the thing is is that repentance has to start with God Because without repentance, there can never be true restoration. That's the thing we need to understand. So the first thing we have to do is we have to repent to the Lord, no matter who we've sinned against or what the sin is. We have to go to the Lord first. Why? Because when we repent to God and we restore that relationship right, then God gives us the strength and the humility and the ability to go to our brother, if that is called for. If you try to go to your brother first, and you don't do it in the strength of the Lord, if this is wrong, and then you try to go to your brother, that's going to be a disaster. Because I guarantee you, if anything said is wrong or different, that pride is going to well up. I have learned this the hard way, because I have messed this up on numerous occasions in my Christian walk, where I've tried to make things right without making sure I was right with the Lord first. And what happens is, is you try to bring restoration in the flesh. And that doesn't work well. Um, When I go to the Lord first, even when a brother or sister may respond in an insulting way or an angry way, it's amazing how you can keep your heart right because you've gone to the Lord first. And it helps you to handle it with a lot more patience. So that's important, um, to go there first. Um, Now, another thing is when we've done this right, we want, and this is under this category, we want to rejoice, uh, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I see. In our union with Christ and His resurrection, and And what that does is it points us to not only our right relationship with God when we've handled it well, but also knowing that we are going to be seated with Him in heavenly places. In other words, um, as believers, our forgiveness offered by God has already been consummated. Now, we haven't yet been glorified. We would all agree with that. Our full glorification is future. But our, uh, our forgiveness and our status before God is assured. That's already been completed. So there is no more future sanctification for our forgiveness that has to take place. When we get to heaven, God isn't going to say, Well, you know, I got you 90% there, but let's now get you over the, over the hill. We're already justified, completely, totally. So here's the encouragement we get out of this If God has let our sin go, when we handle it, then why don't we? So we are holding against ourselves that God has already, something that God has already forgiven us for, you know. Um, And I I tried to get an example of how we could think of this in human terms. You know, if you, um, if you offer, if somebody transgressed against you, and we've all had that. And they came to you with a sincere heart and with a desire to repent. And they asked your forgiveness. And you said, you know, I forgive you. And, and you know, they're so grateful. And they kept coming back to you day after day after day. You know, I just can't accept this. I, just can't. I mean, you would not only get frustrated, you'd probably be hurt by that. It's just like, look, I've forgiven you. Let's move on. You know, and that's what we do with God. Basically, we doubt his decrees when we don't let our past go, when we've done everything that we should do. And, you know, we have to rejoice in this. There are many unhappy Christians because they've never learned um, how to accept God's promise of forgiveness so that it doesn't hinder them in the present. Here's what I've learned as a Christian. The longer I'm a Christian, the more hideous my sin is to me. I mean, I actually feel worse about my sin now than I did when I was a Christian. Because I understand more of the Word, and I understand more of God's holiness. But while I understand what a creep I really am, I understand even more the grace of God, and it amazes me. You know, when Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, it's through Christ. And you realize that His forgiveness is so much greater than our transgressions. Now here again, that doesn't mean that we just... You know, say, well, we're going to cover everything with grace and I don't have any human responsibility. But it means that, you know, is it true that God has already seen the end of your life? Yes? Yeah. And he died for you anyway. I mean, he's, he's already seen tomorrow. He's seen your tomorrows. He's seen every day of your life. He's seen every sin you're going to commit. He's seen everything that he was going to see and has died for you and and assured you of his love. So it's amazing that as a believer, as a true believer, we really can't mess that up. Now, we can certainly be hindered and very um, neutralized by the way we live our lives for Christ. But what we understand is, if you are truly a believer in Christ, that we believe in the perseverance of the saints, right? That we don't lose our salvation. So... Now it's a matter of how well do we want to live for Christ and how intimate do we want this relationship to be. And as we stand on his word, we can put to bed anything we've done wrong if we've handled it well. Um, And sometimes we know that we can handle it well with others. Sometimes we can't. We're going to get into that in box four. But any, any questions on that? Um, Oh, uh, let's see, did I want that to be read? Yeah, will someone read Psalm 103.12? I'm sorry, I think this is in this. Psalm 103.12. Or I think this might be... Hold off on that one, I think this might be for... Let's see, are we going to have time for this? What I wanted to get into are some of the lessons that we can learn from a guilty past. And I think that might be worth spending a little bit of time on. What are some of the lessons? Uh, Psalm 103.12. Does somebody have it? I know I said no, but... <laughs> so you erase it off your phone, you know.
2: As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I love that.
0: As far as the east is from the west. You know, that's a very powerful promise. And it's great for those of us who really have trouble letting go of sin when we've done all we can to handle it right. God says he remembers it no more. He, he doesn't hold it against us. Um, and so we shouldn't hold it against ourselves. All right, when we're innocent. How about 1 Corinthians 10? Debbie, i got to start with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. We'll go back this way, Lydia. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Um, Ellie, Romans 12, 1 through 3, and Norm, um, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 9. Do you have a Bible with you or not really? No, 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 that's okay. Uh, and then um, let's go back to Debbie with Ephesians 2. Well, no, we won't do that one right now. Okay, let's just do those. Okay, 1
1: Corinthians. 1
0: Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, and we'll just do a little running commentary on these
1: therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man.
0: Okay, so one of the things that we learn is in Christ we're not unique. Outside of Christ we're not unique. Uh, We are not suffering through or nothing has befallen us that hasn't been common to every man and with that, the Lord gives us a way of escape. In other words, God always gives us a way to deal with sin no matter what form or fashion we may find, our, find it in or ourselves in. So we should take great comfort in that. Okay? Nothing's overtaken us that's not common to man. And I take great comfort in that. We're not unique as much as we'd like to think. And I hear, you're going to hear this all the time in counseling. You just don't understand my You know, usually your problem is incredibly simple. But you make it complicated because there's a problem here. But I hear this all the time. You hear this in counseling. You just can never understand my life. You just can never understand. I can understand. Because there's nothing that's, you know, unique about you or me or anyone else when it comes to sin. And when we get down to the root problem, it's not going to be complicated. Don't ever let a counselor tell you that their life is so complicated, you never usually you're going to find that it's very uncomplicated and it's not at all hard to understand. Why would people say they want to make it complicated? What do you think that's, why would they say that?
1: No hope for resolution. Okay, sometimes done. people enjoy
0: it while we understand. Sometimes they want attention, sometimes they, they feel maybe a little bit of hopelessness, um, Sometimes they're afraid they don't want to conf- be confronted by God and they don't want to confront others, and so it's a smokescreen to say, look, it's just you know it's you know, don't worry about it. But they're gonna stay in a state of miserableness if they're truly believers. So there is no such thing as my my life is too complicated. Okay, let's go on to Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Am I right? say that. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you,
2: lest there be in any fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin.
0: Okay, so what do we learn from that, Lydia? If you had to paraphrase that, what might we tell the <clears throat> that. what could that teach them? What do we learn about our sin there? Um, To be
2: vigilant and okay. to keep each other accountable. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and that helps
0: us to deal with our past, you know, and keeps us accountable, keeps us current, it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Romans 12, 1 through 3.
1: Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of God is
0: giving you. Okay, so what do we learn from that, Ellie? How could we uh, help, what do we learn from our past is concerning that verse? Or verse, excuse me. It takes humility. All right. Don't think of yourself more
1: highly than you ought. Okay. Evaluate yourself with sober
0: judgment. Absolutely that we need to constantly be renewing our minds as well, not to be transformed to this world, but be conf- not to be conformed, but be, to be transformed. And, you know, we have to fight always to think biblical, don't we? Because in the flesh, we don't naturally think this way. This is foreign to, you know, what our natural inclinations would tell us. So, And humility is always such a, a big part of the mix because we have to be able to be honest before the Lord. You know, we can't, can't hold that... Resistance, and if we do, that we're hurting ourselves. So, okay, let's go to 1 Peter 4, 1 through 9. Did I say that? Do 1 we... through 9. Yes. All
2: right. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, yeah. arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past that though judge in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is ahead. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling.
0: Okay, so there's a ton of stuff in here that we can learn about the past. What are, we, what are some of the things that we learn here?
2: Love, covers a multitude of sins.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And here's another thing, you know, Peter says that you know, when you become a believer, you put yourself at odds with those who are not believers. In other words, maybe some of you have had this experience. You had a lot of unsafe friends that you ran with when you were unsaved, and you, know, you were kind of in the rat pack together. But when you came to Christ, they realized you don't run with them anymore in the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. Sometimes we receive criticism and we receive persecution just because we're Christians, just because of what we stand for. Now, why is that important for us to understand for someone here? Because a lot of times, people have had a guilty past, they've gone to others and asked their forgiveness, they've responded well... But they can't control the way others respond to them, right? So, for example, if I went to someone and I said, you know, I've I, I sinned against you and I confess my sin and I'm asking your forgiveness, and they say, I'll never forgive you. I don't care what you say. You know, that was terrible that you, you know, you deserve no forgiveness or blah, blah. What are we to do with that? What do we do with that? Do we go home and just go, oh? What do we do with it?
1: the situation,
0: analyze everything? Well, yeah, we can analyze the situation, but, you know, we, we can only do what we can do to bring reconciliation, right? Um, and when we ask forgiveness and we, when we truly repent and when we ask forgiveness, we really take it out of our hands and now it's between that individual and the Lord. So if this happens in church and, and an unbeliever responded with that kind of response, they'd be in church discipline. And the reason for that is, is Matthew 18 says this: When someone comes to you and asks your forgiveness and they repent, your rendering of forgiveness is not optional; it's commanded of God. Okay. So if you offend me, and you come and you repent and you ask my forgiveness, God doesn't give me the option to say, "Well, I'll think about it." I'm commanded to forgive you. That's the wonderful thing in Christ. And how many times am I to forgive? Seventy times. Right? You know, Peter. We're commanded. So, that's a church discipline issue for us. That's not a situation we're going to allow in this church if we're aware of it. On the other hand, for people outside of our church or unbelievers, they may respond to you that way. So, what are we to do? You know, we're to love them. We're to continue to keep the door open. We're to continue to try to show the love of Christ. But beyond that, we don't carry the guilt, because there's nothing else that we can do beyond that. So, and this is a big problem, because a lot of people are so obsessed with how people feel about them, that they can't, that they're paralyzed if if they're in a situation like that. And and you know, that's a very, that always evokes a lot of sympathy on me some people so desire for things to be right, and that's a noble thing. We, we should desire for things to be right. We shouldn't enjoy or take pride in someone who is not right with us. But there are sometimes we're in situations that we can respond as well as we can, and it's not going to go well. Um, let me give you an example. So, there was uh, some people in our church that were visiting, the gospel was preached, they were highly offended and wrote me a letter. Let's just say this, I'm probably not on their Christmas card list anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, I wrote back and I said, you know, we were glad you were here. I'm so very sorry you had a, a negative experience. And I said, you know, let me share, you know, our views, first of all, theologically on the gospel. And I shared our views and I tried to back up why we preach what we do. I said, if we have offended you for any personal reasons in character or attitude, then I said, I would absolutely humbly ask your forgiveness. But if we've offended you because of our doctrine, then I will not recant, and I have no other option but to bear it for the sake of the gospel. You know, so I tried to respond in love with respect to these people. Um, am I going to re- repent of the gospel? No. If, if, if I've offended somebody personally, which I can do, <laughs> I would absolutely repent for that. So, you know, there are times when we just can't change the situation, but we don't want to carry it with us. We have to let it go. If I carried every offense that people had on me, I would be in a straitjacket right now I'd be in a rubber room talking to myself because... In ministry, you don't have to wait long for people to get annoyed with you aggravated, and sometimes you're bearing offenses for the sake of the gospel. Usually, people are mad at me, and I haven't even realized I've offended them and and if i've offended you, let me just say this i'm always I beg you to come to me so that I can ask your forgiveness don't ever hold anything if i've if people have offended you, you know not that we want to make our church you know so volatile that way, but if there's an offense that you can't let go of, go to the person if it's me or whatever, and you know because man i I want to ask forgiveness. I would never want to intentionally hurt a brother or sister in Christ. You know, that's the last thing I'd ever want to do. And if I've been in offense, then I want to make sure I, I respond well and, and, and do the right thing. Um, so that's that's that. All right. So we're at ten oh six. Is it safe to say then, when you're dealing with Christians, you
1: know, God has set the example. Of what we've covered in three, as far as have your yes. repentance, mm-hmm. forgiveness, and reconciliation. Right. Exactly. Um, and which leads to the restoration of, like you mentioned, you know, God, yeah. it's, it's erased. Right. It's now it's completed and in, in right. the past, which and I if, used to say to right. my children, it's like a whiteboard. I Absolutely. I said, this yeah. sin is no longer, you know, right. and you don't bring it up again.
0: And if God has thrown cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and he says I remember them no more then what justification would we have to bring those back up if he has already forgiven us that is really a lack of faith it's a lack of trust and so it's is not it standing more, on the promises of God
1: go ahead so is it more that you know the the part that we read love covers a multitude of sin that typically is more Applicable if you have a situation with an unbeliever, or let's say a believer who won't forgive you, you're you're left with having to love covers multiple right. sins.
2: Oh, yeah, I Any mean, unbeliever will ever forgive.
0: Well, you know they might, um, they might. Now they they certainly don't have a sense of biblical forgiveness, but you know it nevertheless is not, uh, we're not relieved of the responsibility of treating them the same way because the Bible tells us that we're to be at peace with all men as much as it depends upon us. So whatever depends upon us, and, and you know, they, they can't in a sense forgive the way a believer would forgive. They don't have the theological understanding but we can restore that relationship, you know, we can... So, for example, let's say you have an unbelieving parent, okay, and you do something wrong and you really hurt them. You know, you love them, they love you, you would want to make that right. So, as much as it depends on you, but yes, when, when you do not get a good response, then, you know what, it doesn't give us license then to say, okay, well, I'm going to let you have it. But to continue to treat them with love and respect as much as you can and to continue to look for opportunities to repair that. But sometimes, you know, again, all you can do is do what's right before the Lord, you know, because ultimately that's what we're called to do.
1: So in Scripture, is it intended that we're just supposed to, let's say, there is something has taken place? as a christian we have that responsibility to follow this yes we do right absolutely instead of just well i can exercise grace i can yeah see that person yeah. without yeah. actually having a one on one conversation Yeah. see that's
0: another thing too is that that's a good a, a good view is that it's not okay for a christian just to swallow hard and say well i'm not going to do anything about this you know First of all, if we're guilty, we have an obligation. But Matthew 18 is very clear. Even if we're the offended party in the church, if a brother or sister don't come to us, then it's our obligation to go to them. So there's no sense in which we can just say, you know, and, and this is a big issue because nobody likes confrontation. If you do, you're a little weird. I mean, nobody likes unpleasant confrontation. When I have to confront as a pastor, which I do on a regular basis, I don't enjoy that. I mean, it's not like something I look forward to. I do it because it's a necessity and because we have to get right, we have to get situations right. But we can't just say, well, you know, I've offended somebody, but I don't think it was that bad. I'm just going to try to treat them nice and I'm not really going to, you know, I'm just going to let it go. No, you shouldn't do that. Because you're assuming that other person is going to do the same thing you're doing, and that's probably not going to happen. Uh, and if you've been offended by a brother, if somebody's really hurt you, by the same token, if they don't come to you, don't just say, well, you know, they probably didn't mean it, or whatever. It's good if it's an offense that you is serious that you, you go to them. Now, here again, there are some things that we cover with a multitude of love. You know? I don't want to suggest that every time... We don't want to turn our lives into a giant therapy session. You know, that would be really boring. And it would be really grueling. There's times when we cover an offense. You know, if somebody comes in and they've had a rough day, or they, you know, maybe they're, had, had it, they're in a bad mood or whatever, that's not something I'm going to... I'm not going to, you know, hold every little thing that everybody does. Because we don't do that. Love does cover a multitude of sin. It, it does cover things that we know are not indicative. But if there is a, an issue... And, and that you can't let go, that it's something that you've really, then you, you know, we're obligated to get that right. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, you're offended, I'm offended by things that you know are not, they're not worth having mm-hmm. deal of it. But we have to use sanctified common sense. And here's how we know. How do we know when to cover with, with love and when not to cover with love? And here's the answer. If you can sufficiently let an issue go and it does not hinder your relationship with that individual or your relationship with the Lord, then let it go. If it's something that is hindering your relationship with that person or your relationship with the Lord, then don't let it go. So that's that's the best way. Alright, so we're not really blazing a trail. And this one we have a fair amount to talk about, so we're going to finish this (laughs) up. I hope this is helpful, you know, I know we're not blazing. Okay, here's what we're going to do, too. We have three weeks left, as I recall, because I think we end this class at the end of April. Next week, we'll finish this up. Then, next week, I'm going to hand out little 3 by 5 index cards, and you can get them early in my office if you want. We're going to do two classes of Q&A, where you can ask any questions pertaining to counseling that you want to ask on any subject for any reason. So we're not limited to anything. Anything you want to know, that's what we're going to talk about. So two weeks of Q&A, and I'm going to give you the index cards early so you can think about it, and whatever questions you write down, that's what we're going to talk about. So you want the questions ahead of time? I would like the questions ahead of time, so I have a little, yeah, I'd rather not have them like here, you know, so I can uh, think through it and prepare and, you know, not so... If you guys want to come to my office, I have cards there, and I'll give them to you, and you can start thinking about that, and as early as next week, you can start handing me those cards if you want, and then the next week, you can hand me cards, and then that will take us through the the last two QA. But I thought I want to give you guys a chance to ask and to partake of questions that you might have. Obviously, we didn't cover a whole lot in this class as far as different topics, but I want to give you a chance to catching some of those things as well. All right, so, we will end with that, and let's see...